Hey, can I tell you a secret? The secret to getting a great shave without any nicks, cuts, or irritation isn't three or four blades, a soap strip, or a swivel head. It's just supporting the blade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just supporting the blade. Don't let it flex or bend. That's the secret to limiting shaving irritation. At Henson Shaving, we use our 20 years of aerospace manufacturing to keep the blade from moving. It's not the coolest answer, but it's the right one. To learn more and to get 100 blades for free, go to hensonshaving.com holiday. Here in Key West, we were out before it was in. In this open and inclusive paradise, you can be yourself, make new friends, and savor our live and let live vibe. With LGBTQ plus friendly accommodations, our legendary nightlife, and year-round activities and events, it's always a good time to come as you are. Key West, close to perfect, far from normal. This is an official download from thecustardtv.com. Hi everyone and welcome to another edition of the Custard TV podcast. Joining us today, we gave her a week off last week, but she's back in full force, would you say, Dawn? 25% force, we'll just call it that. <laughs> I'm, I'm upright, I'm dressed, you know, that that's about as much as you're going to get from me. And someone who's not upright, Gary's with us as well. I am sitting upright. <laughs> I do also have a blanket as well, because it is cold. Hi Gary, how are you? How have you been? I'm all right. I've had about six years off. So, um, no, six months I checked. Six, six months, months, is it? Oh, okay. So was that for good behaviour? Yeah. Happy to be watching television again. How have you been generally? Tell the listeners. Like they care. They don't care. They don't <laughs> yeah, care they, you know, long-term <laughs> listeners, Gary fans. I've got notes about previous podcasts as well. I have been listening. I, I've moved in the, since the last time I've been, I was on the podcast. I'm now living somewhere else, but still in Kent, not back in London. A lot, I've a had lot. surgery. I had surgery, yeah, a bariatric surgery, so that's that's going well. I've joined a pool club. I now play pool every Wednesday. And this week, I just got the winning shot that won it for our team. You'll have so to teach me how to play pool. There was much high-fiving um, of, of middle-aged men. It was fantastic. Promotion and, there for Gary's pool skills. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and how are you, Matt? Yeah, I'm, I'm not bad, thank you. I'm feeling Christmassy. We've got a Christmas buffet coming up at work, Secret Santa, Christmas do, that sort of thing. Only 28 days, folks, yeah. as we record this. I'm going bowling for a, a work's Christmas do. So, time to show off my Fred Flintstone skills. Mm. <laughs> uh, have you asked for the bumpers to be put up? No chance, and I will be ignoring any requests from any, any child that wants it. Oh, I would. <laughs> Matthew. The best and the worst on the box. This could be a podcast. A podcast? Don't you have to be some sort of whiz kid to do those? Anyone with a computer can make one. Talking telly. Yes, that would entertain me briefly. This is the Custard TV podcast. Can I give these bit of feedback for you from the podcast? Seeing as um his his Führer's not here. Cut this out. He'll cut this out. There was a wonderful sense of iron on our last TV time machine. Excellent podcast, might I say. Go and get it from the podcast feed. Um the fact that Luke said that the 11 o'clock show overdid a joke, and then I believe he played that piano tune from Grifters five times. <laughs> just just wanted to point out the irony. Gary, if yeah. you'd watched Grifters, that was what Grifters was like every five minutes. They, it, it, was, it was helping the listener get the experience we had. It wasn't a joke as much as 
this is what it was like watching Grifters. I, I know, but also from someone that Luke that used to say every week to us, well, we'll not go too long, and then would play a five-minute clip of a show, literally. So, you know, you know, just pointing those things out. Also, uh, but yeah, very, a very good uh, look back. I particularly enjoyed the one on the 11 o'clock show. A bit disappointing not to be invited seeing as I actually know Ian Lee. But there you go. No, Were fine. you on the show? <laughs> not on the show, but I know someone I could have got someone on the show who was on the show. But, you know, it's fine. Thank you for the promotion there, Gary. The uh, TV Time Machine podcast, even though Gary isn't on it, <laughs> is available okay. now on our podcast feed. We have got reviews up there at the moment. Uh, Dawn wrote a review of uh, Boat Story, which she may talk about in a minute. And also we've got a review of The Murder at the End of the World from Luke. Keep an eye out as well for the, the TV weeks because they will be coming thick and fast in the run-up to Christmas. I've already started working on our Christmas one, so um, that should be coming soon. Will it be colour-coded like last year, the Christmas one? Yeah, I, I did it last year. I'm doing it this yeah, year. Good, so. good. Yeah, well done. Any other questions, feedback, or can I get on? <laughs> no, no, feel free to uh, feel free to carry on. That's all I've got on my notes. Because of TV podcast, we've been going since 2011, Gary. Gary's old episodes or classics, as we will call them. Good old days, as some people have referred to them, mainly Gary, um, <laughs> are all on that feed. And obviously the, the newer episodes as well. Last week we discussed uh, The Crown uh, Murder at the End of the World and Boat Story with Sarah and with Mo. Dawn, your various podcasts, would you like to talk about those? Yeah, you can find the uh, archives of uh, The Shipyard. We will get back to it eventually, but, you know, that, this is the problem with life. Uh, where we talk about, well, they won't be ship classics from the 80s and 90s, Moonlighting, Miranda. Uh, that's on The Shipyard UST. And my latest one was the Daryl Dixon podcast, which you can find under uh, Cyber Queen Media on YouTube, where we talked about the first season of the spin-off from The Walking Dead, set in France with Daryl Dixon. And we're very much looking forward to the second season, which hopefully will come in the spring. Any thoughts from Gary? Uh, well, I, mean, I want to join my pool club. Uh, message me, but no. Apart from that, no, no, uh, no plugs. Do you want to narrow down which area of Kent? No, not not at all. I don't. You, I don't know what couple of listeners you guys have now. They might be stalkers and things. You know. We will be talking today about uh, Channel 4's The People Next Door, which is a would you call it a, a psychological thriller? Perhaps I'm not yeah. quite sure how to describe that one. Obviously, the return of Doctor Who. Uh, Carrie Grant biopic Archie from ITVX and on BBC Three we have got new comedy Such Brave Girls but first of all what have we been watching? Gary let's start with you have you got any anything you've been I, enjoying I, recently on the TV? Any Nothing on the actual telly I mean you know I'm thinking of giving it away uh, no I, nothing particularly major I started re-watching Veronica Mars because um Someone mentioned it, and I suddenly realised that there was an extra series and a film that I've never seen. Yeah. Um, so I thought, well, I might as well go back to the beginning because, you know, it's Veronica Mars. It's really good. And it is really good, and it still holds up. Particularly the first two seasons, I think, if I remember rightly, where there's the big mystery about who killed Lily Kane and all of that, and that doesn't yet get, get resolved quickly. So it's really good. And you just forget how clever and how smart that show was. Uh, so, yeah, I'm enjoying that. But no, apart from that, well, no, Where's that uh, that's on Amazon Prime. Um, okay. I, I don't know if it's a Prime only show. I've got Prime, so I don't know if it's paid for if you haven't got it. So, but um, but yeah, that's been really good. I'm okay. about six episodes already. 
Anything else? Not really. Quiz program, sport, news, that kind of thing. <laughs> Dawn, can we beat 2004? Uh, I think so. I, uh, I watched the second series of The White Lotus. I didn't enjoy it as much as the first, I have to say. I didn't like the characters very much. I See, know. I, I, I preferred it purely because rich people didn't win or not all of the rich people didn't win yes, at the end. I was going to say, you know, I know you're not meant to like these people because they're all pretty awful. I, I felt sad for Tanya. I thought she wasn't a mm. terrible person. I, I think wasn't... you got to love her, I think, over yeah. the series. And and I just felt sad that everything was awful. Like her husband was, you know, a hideous guy who was after her money. And I enjoyed the story of the, the poorer people, you know, more. I enjoyed Valentina's story and the, the two girls. Um, prostitutes. Yeah, the two prostitutes. I quite enjoyed uh, Aubrey Plaza, her story, a bit more. Mm. But I don't know. It just didn't happen. It the went round in circles a little bit, that one, didn't it? Yeah, it did. I didn't really see the point of the three men's story. It was very... I didn't seem to go any place. Two Doors Down is back, which I'm very excited about. And Kathy is back. I love that. Even though I say on this podcast all the time, I don't like cringe humour. I love Two Doors Down, which is like the cringiest of the cringe. But I actually thought that was the funniest episode they've done in a while. Um, and, and obviously it's very sad because they've, they've lost their creator. Uh, and yes, Boat Story. Loved Boat Story. At the end of the second episode, I literally said out loud, this is bonkers. It's it's not, you know, your usual thriller. It really is kind of mad, which is why I was surprised Luke liked it as much as actually, because I thought, well, he's not fond of stuff that's a bit weird. But I found it really, you know, it's very funny, very original, very don't know what's going to happen, and very, 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 very violent. I quite like a bit of, of bloody gore. You know, on the other hand, Comfort TV, I needed this week, so I've gone back to the start of Gilmore Girls. Oh, yeah. How many times now have you been through it? I actually don't think I've ever watched it start to finish in order because I watched, I started watching it on E4, I think in like series three. I would see, oh yeah, look, there's an earlier one, and you know, I, I never really watched it sort of linearly. So I think this is my first time I'm going to watch start to finish including the year in the life bit, which destroys Rory's character. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but that's it. She got to finish the story, did uh, yeah. Amy Sherman Palladino. I was ground floor for Gilmore Girls. I, I remember watching it on Nickelodeon was the first oh, place wow. you could watch it in Blimey. the UK. And then the Hallmark Channel picked it up. And then I watched it on Nefarious Means. And then E4 bought it after that. Like after it all finished, <laughs> I don't think I've watched a lot over the last week or so. Strictly, obviously, last. Have you been watching Strictly, Gary? Nope. Okay. Is <laughs> your vendetta with the Strictly band finally? I, no, yeah, I think. I, uh, yeah, after they murdered Nirvana, I think earlier this year, I think I decided to give it. No, I don't know. I haven't watched the last two series. I don't think. I'm afraid. So, with that being said, let us uh, get into our reviews. First off, the 60th anniversary of Doctor Who, which has been celebrated across the BBC. Gary, have you been uh, binging on old episodes at all? Have you been? I, I have gone back. I did go back and watch the the last episode of, of Jodie Whittaker's series, just so that I could remind myself. Because I, as as we will talk about, I kind of fell out of love a bit with Doctor Who in the last year because I 
I didn't like the writing. It, it wasn't her. I don't have an anti-female doctor thing. Don't worry. don't worry, I'm not woke. Or I am woke, or whatever it is. But um, I, I just think it, she was badly written, and, and the plot lines were very confusing, and they didn't feature her enough. I think that's one of the things, and that was one of the things about last night's episode I like. We focused on the story of the Doctor, which is what it's all about. Yeah, so you're more Russell T. Davis than Chris Chibnall, is what you're I saying. I think so, yes. Uh, more uh, more queer as folk than Broadchurch. Okay. And Dawn, what's your relationship with Doctor Who? Because we haven't really, you know, you haven't really discussed yeah. it. Dawn's in a relationship with Doctor Who? I am. Well, she wants to be, I think. I wish I was, <laughs> that's for sure. Doctor Who has been a huge part of my life. I have so many memories because I have two older brothers who were firm Tom Baker, you know, obsessive. Mm. Every Saturday, would we would be at my grand's house eating chicken rolls on a roll, uh, sitting in front of the TV watching Doctor Who. Um, we I remember queuing with my brothers to meet Tom Baker, and my brother got a nosebleed, and we went to the London the exhibition in London in 1980 and 1981, and I made my mum carry me around because I was terrified because there was a Dalek loose that would just go around, and I was like, no, it's gonna get me when it came back I mean I loved it when it came back anyway uh, with Chris Eccleston but then they uh, cast David Tennant and I went yes please thank you very much I was a big shipper of, of uh, Ten and Rose but I've, I've carried on ever since and I, I think I feel the same way as Gary I love Jodie Whittaker but I do think the writing just wasn't there mm-hmm. and I don't think the companions story worked I really like uh, Bradley West uh, Walsh, oddly enough, the the group of them didn't work for me. It didn't yeah. really feel like a companion. It felt like a, you know, like a Steve Wright in the afternoon posse had joined her. Uh, for those of a similar <laughs> yeah. age, ask your yeah. parents. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> we're no longer under, under Chris Chibnall. We're back to Russell T Davis, who's come back for this 60th, 60th anniversary. And if you did miss somehow the regeneration for the first time ever, the Doctor has regenerated into a back into a previous form, being of the human David Tennant. And in this episode, we get the return of Donna Noble, Catherine Tate's excellent character. And I think what that shows is that the one thing that Russell T Davis is going to do is he's going to go back to, it's about the Doctor and the companion and the adventures. Yes, you're going to have your longer term storylines. They're all going to build to a nice crescendo, but your weekly stories are going to be much more focused on time mishaps and visiting strange places and the doctor being firmly involved in every every scene and every character, every situation. In this one, we get um, the evil baby Yoda uh, or sorry, the Meep uh, is the villain of the week. And this is a an alien that looks like it has crash landed in the middle of a war or in the middle of a middle of a capture by another race of aliens it gets to know donna's daughter actually named rose uh and she rescues the meep and hides it away in her shed and is trying to sort of protect it we also have a guest appearance from um the unit so which have been involved in a lot of previous doctor episodes but the main part of this episode is the doctor trying to find out why he has been brought back in this form. Hey, can I tell you a secret? The secret to getting a great shave without any nicks, cuts, or irritation isn't three or four blades, a soap strip, or a swivel head. It's just supporting the blade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just supporting the blade. Don't let it flex or bend. That's the secret to limiting shaving irritation. At Henson Shaving, we use our 20 years of aerospace manufacturing to keep the blade from moving. It's not the coolest answer, but it's the right one. 
To learn more and to get 100 blades for free, go to HensonShaving.com slash holiday. He believes it's got something to do with Donna, even though she has had her memory wiped to protect her because she had the mind of a Time Lord installed in her, if I remember rightly. And if she remembers the Doctor or any part of her old life, there's a fear that she might die. The episode is very good. It's very quick, but equally does hit all those major points. You get some wonderful moments uh, of reunion. You do get the classic behind the glass moment with David Tennant and Catherine Tate, something they did a lot of when they were in that. So they did lots of episodes where they would end up being stuck behind glass. And that appears to be a thing they've brought back. And eventually the Meep is an evil character. They were actually trying to capture it because it, it's, its race actually destroyed several worlds. Uh, and even though it started off looking really neat, it actually was quite scary. Wasn't there a famous voice as well? I'm sure I saw something of a voice Miriam at the end. Mar- Miriam Margulies was the voice of the of the meat. Thank you very much. And I think overall, th- this episode was a fine return and a fine setup to what hopefully will be an exciting series for this year. Uh, seeing as you've got an affinity for David Tennant, uh, Dawn, do you want to tell us what you thought? I think it felt like we'd gone back in a good way, you know. So you don't look back, as the the doctor always says. You know, you can't afford to look back. But I think when the doctor who has kind of felt a bit diluted in recent years, and this felt like you're back to the core part of it. It was a proper rob. Lots of running about. Lots of gobbledygook in the in a spaceship. David Tennant and Catherine Tate are just magnificent together i love them together i always love the fact despite i'm such a big shipper that they were totally platonic that difference in their relationship and it was very clear and she was always going oh no i am sure it will have upset some of the um gamineer fans on twitter um with the story about uh donna's daughter played by uh, Yasmin Finney, who a lot of people will know from Heartstopper, that she is trans. And I really liked that it was actually key to the story. And I absolutely sobbed when the reveal was made that why Rose is called Rose and all the the, the things that she remembered, I was crying. So it did its job. Uh, And I, I just don't have a bad word to say about it. I thought it was fabulous and it did feel quick. And the music, Buddy Gold's back. I thought it was it was very sort of industrial but orchestral at the same time, which I, I love. There are only two little bits that I, I thought that it could have used. I was waiting for the post credits set up for the series. Me too, which, yeah. Which it didn't do, but then you know, we've got another possible regeneration this series. So I'm imagining they're keeping their cards fairly close to their chest. And we didn't get an awful lot about the big bad this year. All we got was one very cryptic message at the end when the meek was sent back to its home planet about, oh, we'll wait till I tell the boss, uh, which was the really only sort of moment that we got. Matt, what did you think of it? What was what was your takeaway? Just to answer your thing there, Gary, I think we'll probably get that at the end of these three specials. Oh, OK. As you say, the full series will be with, with Shooter Gatwa in the new year, so right, I would okay. imagine we get that all at Christmas because I think there's a Christmas special again this year. So I think... Very much this is the BBC setting out its stall saying, you know, Doctor Who is back. We sort of recognise the criticisms from the last few years. We have got a new Doctor waiting in the wings, but I think they needed maybe this little bit of respite, having one of the classic Doctors return for three episodes and having reunite. 
with his past companion and sort of clear up what happened to them before. Because how it ended last time as well, wasn't it? With all the companions sort of talking about their experiences and stuff like that. Yeah. And it sort of almost fits into that in a way that here's this companion who can't remember their experiences, yet somewhere in the back of their mind still has something they missed and, you know, is is informing their choices without them realising it. I watched this with my mum and we went through a cavalcade of emotions with the meep in terms of, oh, that would be a lovely plush to get my niece for Christmas. And because it looked like a Furby, didn't it? The meep. A cross between Furby and Baby Yoda, I said. Baby Yoda, yeah. So yeah. it's like, oh, that's so cute. Oh, you know, yeah. let's get and that. And then, oh, no, I don't want that anymore. <laughs> when it was revealed to be evil. But then again, it's like, it's it's sort of gremlins, isn't it? I think that's the general. Yes. Yeah, that's a good that's a good analogy. But yeah, Miriam Margulies seems to be having so much fun as the voice. I know they did like a Doctor Who confidential thing afterwards, where I think they showed. Is some it footage. unleashed or something? Unleashed. unleashed. That was it. I think. Although I, I I thought it was confidential, but you're right. Mm. And I believe there's some. I, I did see a quick clip on Twitter last night of her like loving life, doing the voice. I sort of didn't really get the thing about the, the trans ideology and stuff like that. I just went, oh, she's got a daughter now. She could put some of the energy into the daughter rather yeah, than I, the whole... I, I agree. I, I didn't pick up on the fact that she was trans. I got the binary, non-binary bit, but it, only when I read a review afterwards did I... Oh, OK. Yeah. I mean, like you say, it, it was a plot point. That's all it needed to be. It didn't need mm. to be an absolute feature. It, it was just a good plot point. I think if people want to find things that are there they'll find them but i think it yeah. was like for me it was like she's got a daughter now the, yeah. it's not just all this energy is not just in her that's how yeah. i how i interpreted it i know there was the added layer of the daughter being trans but there didn't need to be that understanding of it and i th- i yeah. found like looking afterwards and actually looking at this people saying oh it's clunky how they incorporated it and obviously me and gary it just went over our heads completely. Um, and I thought, yeah, the introduction of Yasmin Finney, who, you know, myself and you, Dawn, love on, on Heartstopper, the husband as well. I agree with Dawn as well that it's great to have this platonic relationship between Donna and the Doctor. Catherine Tate and David Tennant are, know each other so well that their chemistry is just great. And again, I think you need this sort of palate cleanser almost before you get to knowing a new doctor and knowing the new companion and what their relationship is going to be like you need some like in the 50th anniversary they brought back Tennant and and uh, John Hurt didn't they as well and yes you know they had those little hints well they've always done kind of like because you had like the three doctors and the Mm. five doctors they've always done these kind of specials where they found a way and this year, as you say, that you know the thing they did was obviously you've got the Donna Doctor, and it'll be interesting to see now what they do for the next two specials and how they handle like another regeneration quite close together and have you know from yeah. David Ten onto the new Doctor. So I, and, I always and... said, I always said, sorry to interrupt. The best thing they could ever do would be two generations in an episode because it would be a shock because Doctor Who is like right here's our new Doctor, you know and. I don't know, they introduce him on the one show or something. They make a fuss of it, and then he's only here for half an episode. I think it would be so good. But this is about as close as I think we'll get to yeah. it. But yeah, and, and I, I don't think either of you mentioned it yet, but the new TARDIS design as well is brilliant. Yeah, and the new uniform as well. I don't know whether we'll get that in the next episode. You know, he was still wearing the very thin suit, 
that he had at the end of the last one. So again, there always used to be a thing with doctors where they would go in, maybe not in episode one, but maybe like in episode two or three, they would go and change their outfit. Um, I don't think we're going to get that boot. with Tennant because no, I think it will wait till the yeah. new guy. Well, um, they've shown so. his new outfit, haven't they? Isn't he sort of? He's very sort of um, shaft. Nineteen seventies is a shooting out was Luke, which I'm loving. Or sort of six. Like with the jacket and the yeah leather jacket and yeah, I can't wait. Shooting out was a real clothes horse. He looks amazing in clothes. What clothes. <laughs> So two more specials left uh, in this series before it takes a break for the new year. Uh, everything on the iPlayer. I can't recommend it if you're a Who fan. The iPlayer is a definite place to go at the moment. The, the Tales of the Tardis, I watched them. Oh, so emotional. I really loved that with the, a lot of the old companions sort of getting closure, which they didn't have, as well as um, from Sarah Jane Adventures too. Yeah. Um, I thought it was really well done. I loved it. Just given those five minutes with those characters. Uh, and, I, and I think there was just those little nods and things like, you know, like the fact that she made dolls of all the bad guys in the Donna yeah. and the Donna thing. And then the other thing is, and I just remembered it, with them saying Wilf's in a wheelchair and he can't go upstairs. Of course, that was the old joke about the Daleks. That, yeah. um, again, it's just like a nice little nod to the last 60 years. Okay. But yeah, so as Gary said, we've got two more specials. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure there is a Christmas special as well. Um, I hope so. Now we turn to something completely different. This is Archie. This is a biopic series um, about uh, Cary Grant. It's written by uh, Jeff Pope, who did a lot of the true life dramas that starred Sheridan Smith. So Mrs. Big, Scylla, The Moorside. This is, as I said, about Cary Grant. His real name is Archie Leach, hence Archie. In terms of timelines, it moves all over the place. We've got three sort of distinct timelines. We have Archie as a young lad who we meet in Bristol in, I think, 1911 is where we first meet him. His older brother is ill and then later dies. This affects his mum. She gets institutionalised by his dad and later dies, according to his dad. Dad basically uh, leaves Archie with uh, his grandma, who has no time for him at all. He finds solace as a teenager in uh, the music hall, auditions for a role in the Bob Pender troupe, which is acrobats, clowns, that sort of thing. He forges his dad's signature to say he can be part of the group. Um, his dad finds out, uh, but then basically sells his son to the circus, more or less. He then goes to New York with the troupe, falls in love with America and says he's going to stay there. Then we're in the 1960s with Jason Isaacs playing Cary Grant at the height of his fame, twice divorced. And we see his early budding romance with Diane Cannon, who um, he went on to be married to. This um, is partly based on the book that she wrote about being married to Cary Grant. And I believe she's an executive producer as well as Diane Cannon uh, in this. And then we are also in the 1980s where an old Cary Grant is uh, doing a series of almost like an audience with shows, talking about his career, and it allows Jeff Pope to sort of do these flashbacks in a way with Cary Grant talking about it. But he suffers a mini stroke and is warned by his doctors that if he exerts himself anymore, that he 
might suffer a more serious stroke uh, but he continues uh, regardless so those are the sort of three threads of the plot that we are following I'll go to Dawn first what what were your thoughts on this on, on Archie I think I had a bit of a, a different idea of, of, of who Cary Grant was or rather I didn't know I had a bit of an assumption he was part of the kind of Frank Sinatra type Lothario because this is uh, produced by his daughter and um, his ex-wife. It is actually much more favourable than than you know an outsider coming into it. I think if people go into this expecting to see um, a detailed journey through his career and how he finds films and how that film goes and his career, you're not going to get that. There is a huge leap in it. That it goes from sort of his age about 20 maybe up to him 39 and we don't see anything in between obviously which is probably the height of his fame because this is really exploring his psyche and his emotional need for approval and and love because of what happens in his childhood that he's desperately trying to feel accepted and and that's his journey into becoming a father and that's what this story is about uh, rather than Hollywood. And I thought Jason Isaacs, I mean, he's, a, he's incredible. There are some shots where you would just think it was Cary Grant. It doesn't feel like an impression. He carries himself like Cary Grant. This sort of erect, I don't know, I can't even explain it, but he, he does an amazing job. And he really depicts Cary Grant's charming nature. He has all these friends in Hollywood. You see Princess Grace and... Uh, Alfred Hitchcock and we see Doris Day he you know everybody loved him because he was a very lovable person it's a very positive portrayal even though it's showing how damaged he was inside um I think it's a very paints him in a very good light they sort of gloss over this rumor or whatever it is that he lived with a man who he had a relationship with a man for years and they just kind of gloss over that because his daughter actually sued Here in Key West, we were out before it was in. In this open and inclusive paradise, you can be yourself, make new friends, and savor our live and let live vibe. With LGBTQ plus friendly accommodations, our legendary nightlife, and year-round activities and events, it's always a good time to come as you are. Key West, close to perfect, far from normal. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Uh, Chevy Chase, when he. Um said that uh, that Cary Grant was gay and she sued him and won. So they're obviously not going to go down that aisle of, oh, but was he? So it's a bit sanitized, but I, but I thought it was very sensitive and very um, emotional, which people might not go into thinking. They may think it's all scandal and, and uh, who's sleeping with who and whatever. It's a much more a therapy session than, than uh, a Hollywood um, exposure. I, I think similar to Dawn, I didn't really know much too much about Cary Grant going in. I knew he was English, but 
spoke with a very mid-Atlantic accent. And actually, they dealt with that in the first episode where he attempted to put the Cary Grant voice on for the very first time. I, I think the first episode deals mostly, as you say, with his upbringing. And he obviously, if true, and I don't doubt it is, the very tough idea that his mother, played by Cara Toynton, that's it yeah i was trying to work, work out which toynton but yeah it, it was, was Cara. Yeah, it was her she favorites his older brother to the point where you know basically at one point he's told to eat on the floor because he drops his food on the floor so you know there's moments of like almost child abuse and then as you say she gets committed i don't believe she dies because her, her you know his dad is you know a born liar yeah i don't really feel i know much about him from this first episode i think i learned a lot about his upbringing and the reasons. But there was only really one scene, the very weird scene, where he has dinner with um, his future wife's character on a bed because he doesn't own a dining table, he says, which is very, very Hollywood. And they kind of get into this idea and he says, oh, don't you want kids? And what about marriage? And he he sort of talks about, oh, I don't need any of that. You know, I, I just need to be loved, you know, and just talk a little bit about his love of the crowd and the love of being applauded and things like that. But other than that, nothing that would make me kind of go on and watch the rest of the series, if I'm honest. I mm. didn't think Dominic West was particularly outstanding. If it's or Jason a... Isaacs, even. Or Jason Isaacs, sorry, even him. Sorry. <laughs> that's that's the crown. Like, You're thinking no, about the crown. Hold on, I, Isaacs is the big bad, isn't he? He's uh, in Harry Potter, isn't he? Yes. I, I'll give you that they do look similar. They are. No, similar. I don't know why I thought it was. Suddenly enough, actually, some of the supporting cast were some, you know, because the guy that played Hitchcock, I recognised, and the guy that played his agent, I recognised. Yeah, Jason Watkins was his agent. Yeah. Uh, Laura Aikman played Diane Cannon, who you'll know from, you know, a lot of British comedies and yeah, things like that. So it's all it's all British actors playing Americans. Yeah, but I thought what, yeah. what, what was interesting was was that actually that the hardest part is is that, I mean, this was a thing when I was growing up, Cary Grant was a famous impression that people would do. It was kind of like a Mike Yarwood impression because he's got this very recognisable voice and stature and way of acting that was kind of the same. I mean, you know, funny enough, I had no idea he was offered the part of Bond, but I could kind of see it. Uh, that was interesting. I thought it was funny. He said, what, same, same character for four films? Like, you know, I thought that was, that was, there were moments of little humour, but not enough for me to keep watching I'm in agreement with you, Gary, that I enjoyed it, but I didn't really get that hook. Just thinking about something similar that, that was on earlier in the year on ITVX, Nolly, where, which was another biopic with Helen Bonham Carter playing Noel Gordon. And that had the sort of underlying thing about the sexism in the industry and her being a difficult woman. But if she was a man, you know, would she be treated the same? So Russell T. Davies, oddly, as well, wrote that. This is just a very standard biopic for me. There wasn't anything going on beneath the surface. Obviously, you know, they're telling the story of this man who has never really found that love. As you said about the, um, he says specifically he can't have kids and she th thinks it's a biological thing. But then he said, no, I just can't do it. I, you know, I, I couldn't be a parent, you know. So it is about trauma in a way, but I didn't find it skirted away from like the classic biopic, which we've seen from Jeff Pope in the past, but I didn't think it did anything new apart from maybe the technical aspects where we saw the memories come through, almost like come through his glasses, these memories of him as a lad in black and white. We saw behind him when he was doing his talks in the 1980s. I love Jason Isaacs as an actor, and he is very captivating here. 
I didn't think the look completely worked. Sometimes I thought he looked more like Dustin Hoffman than Cary Grant. And in the 80 scenes where they give him the big glasses, he also reminded me a bit of the old man from Up. Uh, but um, <laughs> I thought he was great. And the younger actor as well, who played the the teenage Cary Grant, actually. I wrote his name down, Oakley Pendergrass. Yeah, so Oakley Pendergast, I thought. I, I mean, the, the, the younger one as well, the, the young boy, but um, it was a solid watch, but there was nothing really going on beneath the surface, anything that would really sort of entice me to watch the whole thing. But I can see this being something that people will watch over Christmas. I think it's on at the right time on ITVX. Um, I know that ITV are going to be showing Nolly on the, on the proper channel over Christmas as well, so this might be a nice compliment to that. The generation above ours might like it because mm, Harry yeah. Grant died in the 80s when we were all quite young, Matthew very young, uh, and, uh, and like, you know, I just think maybe we just don't know enough about him. As you say, we can be fans of his films, but we didn't grow up in that lifetime. So maybe the next generation up will enjoy this. I hope it does get an ITV showing, because do. I don't think anyone will find it on ITV. I personally wouldn't have found it on ITVX if we weren't asked to watch it. Well, that is there on ITVX now. Tell your parents or your grandparents. Uh, next up, though, again, something completely different. We move to Channel 4 for, is it called The People Next Door or The Couple, couple Next Door? The couple, couple Next Door. And it's based a Dutch show that has previously been on uh, Water Presents called uh, The Swingers, which is almost a bit of a giveaway, really. Yeah. Um, you know, a bit more subtle with the British title. And it is over to uh, Dawn Glenn for this one. And it starts with our favourite thing in the world, a Luke special. Hooray! And this, I would like to say this is a proper Luke special this because... the epitome of a Luke special. Some of the Luke specials we've had recently, because like last week, Boat Story had it, but Boat Story did it in a sort of comical way almost, didn't they? With yeah. like some prologue start with the epilogue and things like that. And... The Crown did it with Princess Diana's death. I'm a series behind on The Crown, and I'm I'm wary because of your review of we even getting <laughs> to this point. It literally starts with a man walking his dog in then that by that French tunnel and seeing the crash and then ringing the police. That's it's like how the assassination type of thing, you know, you know. But sometimes you'll have a a flashback and then a two months earlier or so, you know something like that where. It is almost a little bit inconsequential. It's someone on the phone or something like that. But this is the epitome of the Luke special in that we've got an exciting scene and then we flash back to something more mundane anyway. Sorry, Dawn. Because it's a cabin in the woods. There's a gunshot. There's a lady in a negligee fleeing through the woods and three other people chasing her, a man with a gun chasing her. And then we go back in time. uh, And it's following the story of... Evie and Pete, who uh, moved to suburban bliss, a white picketed fence growing up in the world. He is a journalist, she's a primary school teacher, and she's 24 weeks pregnant. When the day they move in, they meet their neighbours, Danny and Becca. Danny is played by Sam Hewen from Outlander, and he's, of course, uh, a big buff guy who basically takes a washing machine under one arm and a dishwasher under the other, is like, hey, I'll help you move in immediately making uh, Pete feel a bit inferior. Uh, Becca is a yoga instructor. 
uh, Australian, and Danny is a policeman. And they immediately hit off with this other couple. Of course, there's immediately this frisson of, of sexual tension, particularly between Evie and Danny. We also are introduced to another neighbour, Hugh Dennis, who plays a creep-tastic called Alan, who watches Becca a lot through his telescope, and he's tried to take her yoga class to get closer to her. Um, uh, Alan has a wife, played by Kate Robbins, who's disabled and can't go upstairs, so he's um, enjoying his free time upstairs. Evie sadly loses the baby. That sets off the spiral of a lack of, of connection with her husband, Pete, thus building a frisson with, with Danny. But there are so many different bits in their storylines that you see could take off and, and cause whatever happens that ends up with the four of them in a, a cabin with a gun. We learn things like that Evie has a super religious family who disapprove of the fact that uh, her and Pete um, had IVF to, to get pregnant. There is Pete's lack of, of confidence because um, he had a low sperm count. Pete, as a journalist, is investigating um, a, a big businessman who seems to have the counsel in his pocket. Danny particularly has the, a big storyline. It appears he is desperate for money. The underlying idea is that um, Danny and Becca are very sexually open uh, to have an open relationship. We see uh, Pete sees them um, taking in another couple and, and having a little tete-a-tete. And this idea that the two couples are going to end up swinging and but it's going to get out of hand or whatever. Eleanor Tomlinson is, is Evie. Alfred Enoch from um, How to Get Away with Murder is Pete. I think it feels very much like um, an Instagram drama. It's very beautiful. Suburbia is very perfect. There's this whole thing where they go to the beach in a camper van, which is so, you know, aesthetically Instagrammy. And it's supposed to be a beautiful hot day at the beach. We never see a single other human being on the beach. It's very on-the-surface stuff of beautiful people, middle-class people. One thing that Matt and I are always going on about is their middle-class problems. Uh, and, you know, the, the uh, dirty underworld of the middle class, I suppose, is, is what it's meant to be. Gary, what are, are, are your opinions? Gary saw his life up on screen, obviously. That's yeah. I mean, I, I, I was half expecting them when they were unpackaging to unpackage a Live Life Love poster or something. You know, uh, this was so middle class. I didn't like it. I didn't like the kind of moments where they stared out of the window and the music played and there was too much of it. I appreciate that you've got obviously quite a serious storyline, you know, with the loss of a baby and things like that. But there was just too much kind of wistfully looking into each other's eyes. And the only moment of real adventure was the motorbike ride in episode one and the only real purpose of that was to get those two people together in a moment where she had to hang on to him and this was short of sewing the beginning of her relaxing of her inhibitions i think i could predict where this plot goes as you say it was a bit too obvious where things are going to go there was no real excitement for me of like or twists that i could see upcoming i didn't think any of the acting was particularly outstanding nothing terribly wrong but nothing memorable either and I think I agree with you. It's like an Instagram drama. I think that's a very good way of putting it. So too much on the stuff and not enough on the substance. I didn't think this would be no. up your streets. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I've got a, a 
feeling in the back of my mind that we watched the mate I don't think you were on the podcast then but I'm pretty sure we watched the Dutch one for the podcast or I think I think it was in the early days of Walter Presents you know so we were having a look at some of the ones they were putting on there but I think as Dawn said they have cast a lot of pretty young things here rather than maybe a diverse range of characters you know they're all as you say like people that you'll know from other um sort of you mentioned outland uh, eleanor tomlinson was famously in uh, poldark these are actors that people will follow to a drama and i think that's why they've cast them mm. i think i had a real problem with pacing as well you mentioned gary about the pensive what's going on here looks and the yeah uh, oh i will consider doing dodgy jobs and things like that the other thing is what is the financial woes what you know he says he's got in trouble you know is he having an affair away from his hot australian wife their child disappeared quite quickly as well we saw yeah. their, <laughs> their child yeah. was there a child oh yeah you're right didn't want to eat the king the falafel that. Didn't, that, yes. didn't like falafel, Gary. That's it. Sorry, you're right. I'd forgotten that. And they talked about, he didn't, he talked about becoming a father, didn't he? So where had the child went? <laughs> Having seen the second episode, never seen again. <laughs> Not important. It's like we can relate to being parents, but we've lost our child. Yeah. <laughs> Just like lo- Not very so, good one. I think they sped up getting to her losing the baby within the first 15 minutes of the thing, 20 minutes of the thing. And then we spent so long just getting to the point of, obviously we know that there's like the sexual thing that is going to happen between these couples, but we are teasing you first with seeing them with another couple that they met in Marbella, who just happened to be free that night as well. That was convenient, wasn't it? The bit I think intrigued me the most was everything with Hugh Dennis. I thought he was a revelation here. I, you know, I've never seen him do drama before. You know, I, I, you know, outnumbered obviously had some dramatic moments in it, but it was very much a comedy. And I thought he was so good here as the creepy neighbour. That's the bit that felt the most Dutch. (laughs) The the creepy neighbour. Yes. Yeah, and a bit, bit, well, it's not, it's it's rear window, isn't it? Not north by northwest, you know, it's a bit, there was a bit of that in there where he's got his telescope up there and and he's... But his wife's the one in the wheelchair. Yeah, his wife's the Dalek (laughs) who can't go upstairs. He's in a a wheelchair in rear window, that was the joke I was Well, yeah, that, ah, good point. Yes, you're right. Good point. (laughs) I thought it was a casting choice that worked because Hugh Dennis is someone I think that we associate with a certain, you know, a sort of awkward... Mid, middle-aged British man and what if we turn that on its head a little bit and he is creepy and I, I thought the scene of him in the yoga class was probably the thing that I'm going to remember the most in this as you say with Kate Robbins as well which is another really interesting uh, casting choice I wonder if they've got something to do with the finals you know what's their role in where we get to at the end with the gun and you know he's obviously going to be involved in it in a way where does he slot in with the main plot? I won't be watching any more either. I don't know where Dawn is on this, but I felt apart from the Hugh Dennis stuff, everything else was quite tedious and I didn't really care about any of them. The Hugh Dennis stuff reminded me of like when they tried to get Robin Williams to play bad guys. And and because he's a very good actor, a bit like Hugh Dennis, he did it really well, but then it wasn't really memorable. Mm-hmm. And actually it, it, enough, you know, it, it was good. I liked One Hour Photo. 
it was a good film and Robin Williams was good in it. But do you really think of him now as a bad as a as a, as a bad guy? No, well, I think he was a versatile as, as, actor. No, I do not know. Well, anyway, for me, anyway, I, I keep it to my, my own opinion. I, I didn't I didn't I didn't get it. You know, something Luke always talks about is that you want to feel that it's real. And I just spent too long going, even at the, the fact that she's 24 weeks and gets a new job as a teacher, she's going to go off on maternity leave and like... Yeah, they must have been thrilled at that hire. Yeah. And they can't discriminate, though. No, I didn't say that. I, they didn't discriminate. <laughs> Come on, Gary, you know HR. They could still be annoyed about it. I just thought stuff like that. And like, what was the point of her being pregnant, losing the baby, which in another drama, that would be the central thing and the entire plot of how it affects their relationship, whatever. But as Gary said, it just was glossed over so quickly. And that's the word, gloss. It's all gloss. Yeah. And I won't be what I will no. be anymore, no. no. Six episodes this is as well. And it's it's sort of, because of where we are now, it's put different places in the schedule, so... That's not um, part, is it? No. When you're on this late in the year, you're oddly they've announced like the new series of Vigil's going to be on over two weeks just before Christmas, which seems a bit odd because that was one of the biggest hit dramas of of last year. <laughs> Would have thought that was, was that a January that... thing, you know, like the Happy Valley. Mm. Was Vigil the one in the submarine? Or it was. It... it was okay. But yeah, so that's the couple next door. Now we are ending on. Uh, Such Brave Girls, this is a uh, new uh, sitcom written by and stars Kat Sadler as uh, Josie. Uh, She is a bookstore employee. She suffers from depression. She's prone to oversharing, overstaring at certain points as well. And hasn't got an inner monologue, I would say, is the best thing. It blurts out things. She lives with her mum, who is played by Sherlock's Louise Brealey, Brealey, and her sister Billy, who's played by her real-life sister, Lizzie Davidson. Billy is um, obsessed with on-off boyfriend Nicky, going to obsessive lengths to uh, win his affection. I watched the first two episodes. Uh, we have the second episode where she gets um, Joseph to give her a hickey to um, get his attention because he, she sees him with a blonde girl. She asks Josie to dye her hair blonde. Mum Deb is dating new boyfriend Dev, who she mainly likes because he's got a big house. But she is uh, trepidatious of inviting him around to the house because of the two girls. The dad left them 10 years ago, went out for tea bags and never returned. It's about these three women, a single parent household, Mental health is a big sort of recurring theme throughout. Let's start with Gary here. What did you make to this? This almost felt like two different shows. The acting of her sister was a bit awkward and maybe she's not an actress. Maybe they picked her because she's actually her sister. It, It kind of felt like she was acting in a different sitcom than the others. She was over the top. And, and braggadocious and, and, and the mother was repressed and the daughter was repressed and the the the, the husband or the, the prospective husband prospective lover was, was repressed. But then they had all these kind of explosive moments, you know, like, you know, I, I won't go into any detail, but some interesting times in the kitchen uh, that she walks in on uh, shall we call it a tete-a-tete as uh, as Dawn mentioned it earlier. Uh, well, she wanted was a mini milk. 
Yes, uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I did. You think, like, Gary, I know you like a mini milk. I love a mini milk. I don't know whether I can eat them anymore. Um, you know, and there were some nice moments of humour when she took her shopping, when the mum took her shopping, you know, because she doesn't know how to deal with depression and anxiety, so she just buys her new things. But then there was one point where, and the girl, because of the blonde hair, came over, and then she stuck a knife to her throat in a very shocking moment, and the mum just went, oh, yeah, she just wants a wagon, mummers. Because she'd said, oh, that's what I do. So there was kind of felt like there were times it was kind of this nice, sweet, little innocent. And then there were times it was going for this very edgy kind of thing, which I I didn't really get. I can see there is a lot of really original, good comedy in it. You know, all the stuff that the sister sending text messages saying she's going to kill herself and then sending another one. And, you know, oh, the police are outside. This is the police. She's dead. You know, yeah. <laughs> How's your day? I, I liked that. I thought that was all good. Or when the mum comes into the room and they have this big conversation and then she just says, Mum, did you fart? And she's well, I can't do it in my room. He's in there. I, I, I think it felt, it reminded me a lot of Henpocalypse in the kind mm. of grotesqueness of it. Very awful women um, and their family relationship. But, um, I, I mean, and it is quite grotesque. In the second episode, Matt will, uh, will have seen this, uh, there's a whole bit of the pregnancy test, which is really quite um, stomach-turning. I didn't connect with it. I just, Henpocalypse, I really actually quite loved by the end. I really enjoyed the characters. This central character didn't grab me, um, and I didn't feel interested in her story enough. It makes me think she's obviously a very talented writer, but that maybe she needs to write with someone else. You know, this is too Mm. personal, I think, maybe. I I don't know. There is some really good comedy in it, but I think as a vehicle itself, it didn't work for me. I really liked this. Maybe I just did connect with that character maybe a little bit more than you did. I can sort of see where you're coming from, Gary, in that the more extreme moments may feel Mm -hmm. a little bit out of place. But I don't think they did. And because you've got the two sisters here, the real life sisters, all those moments felt believable, even the more grotesque ones, in the way that I didn't feel the characters in Hempocalypse were as painted as well, perhaps. They felt more like caricatures. Even though there were real life things beneath them, they felt like, you know, like the Elizabeth Barrington character there felt maybe like a more thinly drawn character. But I didn't believe these two sisters and the mum and their sort of almost hate hate relationship. Yeah. How many times the mum tell Deb tells Josie that she regrets giving life all went downhill when I gave birth to Josie. But I've not really laughed out loud that many times in the first two episodes I laughed out loud so many times especially with the hair the reveal in the hair dying sequence but, but that they they kind of again they kind of like that to me should have been like the final joke of the episode like that should have been the big reveal at the end that she left the Asda sign on which was lovely mm. but they kind of just brushed it over very quickly and then moved on to her pulling a knife you know but, that, that that's where it, you know but these are the extreme reactions from yeah. these characters and I think you get that from from the Billy character that her dream is to be with the boyfriend and have this baby. And mm. as Dawn will know in the second episode, she says, "Tell me you love me," and he's saying, "Oh, are we role playing now?" Yeah, <laughs> I, I think I fell for it a little bit in the same way I did with something like Alma's Not Normal. That's what this reminds me of. Mm. Um, 
you could say larger than life character, but I found her really engrossing. I don't think they overplayed the stuff with the mental health. Louise Brearley as well was brilliant. Her comic timing was excellent. I thought it all just worked really well. I didn't really know what to expect going in and I was pleasantly surprised and I got a lot of laughs out of it and I will be finishing it. Along with, I think, Dreaming Whilst Black and Black Ops were the, th- uh, the three best British comedies I think I've seen this year. I don't know if you agree, Dawn. Yeah, I do, definitely, yeah. I was just having a conversation with Luke about the end of year, um, you know, sum up. Mm. And I was saying we're actually quite short on mainstream comedies, or, or rather, you know, the big streaming mm. companies. But BBC Three has done a pretty good job. It came it came as a surprise, but I, I really liked it. And I, I think that trio of women, I think, work off each other so well. I'm excited to see more, and I hope people do seek this out on BBC Three, Gary, or the iPlayer. Um, Why are you telling me? I'm not going to do it. So there's no point, you know. To be fair, it is on BBC One after the news on Monday night. So you know, if you if oh, you the just old, keep the old BBC Three slot, if you keep uh, if you just fall asleep in front of the news, you might see some of it. So I normally click over to but... the news night at that point. Actually, to be fair, Matt. So okay. you know. Okay, granddad. Um, So, yeah, so such brave girls all on the iPlay now. Thumbs up from from myself, at least. And that is us done for another week. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. Do you want to just go through where we can find you online, Gary? No. At the Gary Show? If you want to, but I mostly don't tweet about television. I I mostly don't. Or X. What is it? Are you still allowed to tweet or do you have to X? I don't know. Post. I think it's post now. Is it post now? Well, I mean, it's going to be shut down by Elon soon. So, I mean, I'm not that bothered. I mean, you know, my MySpace is probably still out there. Go find that. Gary's Instagram as well is a good follow if you want to see him looking terrified on a gondola in Italy. Yes. Yeah, that that I suppose is true. And Dawn. Uh, Yeah, I'm also on Twitter, Dawn Glenn too. And I'm on all the other platforms as Ikloshu, which is I-K-K-L-E-O-S-U. And I'm at Matt's TV Bites. Uh, Luke, you can follow at Luke Custard TV at Custard TV Pod for the podcast. We are on Instagram. It's the Custard TV. We are on Facebook. Uh, just search the Custard TV. And you can contact us via email, reviews at gmail.com. Probably you'll next hear another TV time machine featuring Dawn and Luke as well. And then all our sort of Christmas and end of the year specials will probably dominate december but we might fit in a couple of review shows in there keep subscribed on your podcast apps of choice as we always say please rate review and subscribe and we will talk to you soon uh thank you very much and goodbye bye (laughs) rate and review us wherever you find us i think that it's programs like this that help people realize that they're not alone search the custard tv on youtube itunes and facebook Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.